on here? Check, check. Happy Easter, everybody. And um, if you're new and you, you have your kids with you and you don't know where they're supposed to go, um, they should follow the flow. They will be taken care of and just taught about Jesus, and you can pick them up at the uh, end of the service. Um, for those of you who don't know me, maybe visiting, uh, my name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just wanted to echo the welcome that's already been given to those of you who might be visiting. And uh, a special welcome also to those of you who were dragged here by other people and uh, you feel uh, uncomfortable in the context of a church. Um, we're glad you're here. And I think you'll find that the Parkway family uh, doesn't bite. Um, the people here are, are warm. We are an imperfect and flawed family. Um, but we're endeavoring together in humility to fix our eyes on Jesus and um, experience healing by the power of his, his resurrection. So um, that's basically what church is. It's just coming together, like-minded people who want to follow Jesus. And, and that's why we're here this morning, to celebrate um, the greatest event in history, at least as far as the church, the Bible, and Christianity goes. And um, I want to begin by reading, uh, by the way, I'm just going to say this. For those of you who do know me, this is not my dad's tie. Uh, the Parkway family knows I, I detest ties, but my lovely wife said to kick it up a notch, so I listened to the... I didn't throw you in the bus. <laughs> I'm going to read from two texts. The first is found in, in John. Um, I'm going to have it on the screen behind me, the, uh, John chapter 11. And the context is the death of a friend of Jesus. And um, he has already been dead a no number of days, and he comes to the grieving sister, and this is what he says. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He didn't say I'm the means to resurrection. He says I am the resurrection. And that last question is key for every single living person. Do you believe this? And he went on to show that, in fact, what he stated about himself is true. And here I turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, and I read. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Father, I ask in this few moments that we have to hear about the resurrection of Jesus and all that it entails for us, I just pray that you would grant to those of us who do profess to believe this a deeper faith um, because a deep faith in the re resurrection will change the way we live our lives. And I also pray for those who, who are here who have never believed. Um, they don't see it as true. I just pray that you would open and awaken their eyes to see that this is not a myth, that it's not a legend, it's not a fiction, but this actually happened, and that it changes, it changes everything. And so I, I pray for that. I pray that you, in a work of grace, would just um, open hearts um, this morning to the truth and the wonder of the resurrection. And I pray this in Jesus' uh, name, who gave his life to take away guilt and rose again to give us life. Amen. I had a, a relative in Chicago who every year 
um, at my birth time, day time would send me a check for, for 20 bucks. And uh, my, um, my mother would take that check to the bank and she would cash it. And um, my preference was to have that cash in 20 uh, Washingtons, you know, $21 bills. Because 20 Washingtons feel so much more than uh, one Andrew Jackson, you know, 20. And uh, so my mom would bring me the cash, and I'd hold it in my grubby hands, and my, my eyes would just light up cold, hard cash. And the first question I'd ask myself is, what am I going to buy? That's what I do. And about that time, my mom would start quoting Ben Franklin at me. You know, a penny saved is a penny earned. At that time, I, I hated ben, ben Franklin. In particular, I hated that statement by Ben Franklin because you want to spend it. It's just a, my mom would always say it's burning a hole in your pocket. As a good mom, she tried to, like, lift my, my sights to something a bit more enduring than I usually spent my money on. And um, in my little world of Newcastle, um, the best thing going was a, a, a redline BMX bike. I mean, it was, I don't know if in the biking world that still is a big bike, but back, back then that was the bomb. That was the cheese, was the redline bike. <laughs> but I always saw, my mom would say, why don't you save for something that's going to last? And, and um, I always thought of that as a, as a, is an unattainable reality um, because it was so expensive and it would take so long. I figured I'd be 100 years old before I'd ever be able to buy a bike like that. So I'd pro- most of the time I'd, I'd fritter my money away um, because I couldn't believe in a potential reality. So I'd spend my money on things like donuts or licorice or I'd take it up to the bowling alley and stick it in quarter by quarter into a Space Invaders game. You remember that? And my money would be gone. Um, and I'd be left riding my old huffy bike with the bent rims that went like this as I rode. <laughs> Meanwhile, I had friends who they could see the potential reality of riding the bike. And that motivated them to save. And um, as a result of their forward uh, belief that they could actually have the bike, they ended up with the bike riding it along with me and my huffy down the road. Now, my point in bringing that up isn't to talk about bikes or, or cash or how to spend money. My point is to say that um, the belief in a future potential reality changes the present life. I'm going to say that again, that the belief, faith in a future potential reality changes the way we live in the present. Now, for Christians, that future potential certain reality is summed up in a single word, and that is the word resurrection. Resurrection. Um, That's grounded on and caused by the first resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Um, That's what gives us our certain hope of resurrection ourselves. And I believe that The Bible teaches that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a ripple in the fabric of history, but that when all is said and done, there will not be a sliver, an atom, or a molecule in the universe that will not be altered by the resurrection of Jesus. It's not a small thing. It's a universe-altering thing. And I just, this morning, want us to gaze at the wonder of how far-reaching the hope of the resurrection is for us. There is a a present power of the resurrection available to all who believe, and there are future aspects that this resurrection still has to unfold. 
The first one, the present tense, what it does for us is that Jesus' resurrection provides uh, new life for dead hearts now. Jesus taught this in John chapter 5. He said, truly, truly, when he says that once, it's emphatic, he says it twice. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, future, and now is, is now here. That's present. So he's talking about a future and a present reality. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That last part is talking about an inner coming to life. That something happens in the soul when they hear the voice of Christ through a message that brings it to life and orients it to the Lord. Um, It's called by different names in the New Testament. Um, New birth, being born again, new creation. But it comes when one hears the voice of Christ call a dead soul to life. Now you might say, well... I'm here this morning, and, and um, I'm feeling and thinking things. I feel alive, but I don't believe in Jesus or the resurrection. So what are you going to do with that? To which I think we'd have to respond with the definition, and that is that the Bible doesn't define death as a ceasing to exist. The Bible defines death as disconnection and separation. So at the time of physical death, the body is separated or disconnected from the spirit. Um, so it's possible to feel and think things and... Um, and be disconnected from the source of life, namely God, and not live. Or think of it this way. Um, I could go out to my backyard, and I have a number of rose bushes, and I could take my clippers, and I could clip a beautiful rose. And at the moment that that clipper severs the branch, the rose is, in effect, dead. Now, if the rose could think, it might think to itself, well, I'm still alive. I still have petals. I'm still green. I'm still soft. Put me in a vase, and I'll continue to live. But we all know that eventually that life dies because it becomes disconnected from the source of its life, namely the bush. It might live for a while. Its flowers might be beautiful. But eventually those petals will fall. Eventually that soft stem will dry up and die. Whatever life we have is, is uh, apart from the Lord is just that. It's a withering life. And Jesus came to reconnect us to the source of life, like reconnecting the rose back to the bush. Um, Because that is the nature of our life, is life is defined in the New Testament as as knowing and being in relationship with the Lord. He came to die to take away the guilt that separated us, and then he rose again to give us that life to connect back to God. And in that connection, we truly live with a sense of hope and a sense of peace and a sense of uh, restored joy. He came to bring that connection of life back together. And he died and he rose for that very purpose, to bring us to life. And our, our hearts um, are reconnected as he breathes new life into us, um, inclining us back to the Lord. Now, if you want a definition of kind of the essence of sin, it's, it's, it, you can put it in a number of different ways. And I know sin is a word that people like to joke around about, but it's a very serious affair. It basically means that we want to live how we want to live and we don't want anybody telling us what to do. That's the basic fallen human nature. Wives don't want husbands telling them what to do. Husbands don't want wives telling them what to do. Kids don't want parents telling them what to do. That's an instinctive, defiant, inner fallen brokenness. Um, And so we, in wanting to live our own way, essentially sever ourselves from the Lord and sever ourselves from life. And the result is, is death. And Jesus came to reconnect that life, bring it to, so that we are, we are able to trust him again and able to love him again, redirecting our defiant hearts back to the Lord. That's, that's what the resurrection does. And that is not, a, that is not a, um, an abstraction or a theory. 
that reality, that inner awakening of life that it's difficult to describe um, has taken place throughout the centuries and it's taken place to many who sit in this room. I'll never forget watching, it was 1991, I was in Russia and I was part of a musical traveling group and we were singing about Jesus while Gorbachev was still in office. And, um, and we had this well-known preacher with us who would preach, only he didn't know Russian. So we'd sing and he would preach, but he'd preach in English. And we had this translator named Vadim who didn't know Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus, but he had to translate the message. So here's an unbeliever, didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. He's preaching this guy's message. And he preached it a number of times. We went day and day and day. And this one time we were in a park. And he is translating this preaching message. And in the middle, he begins to weep. Because something happened inside. What I would call this, he came to life. He heard the voice of Christ and he essentially preached his own salvation message. Um, you saw it happen right in front of us. That, that's, that's what the resurrection does. It really it comes in. We listen. We hear it. And something happens within and we believe it. And it changes things. That's, that's the way that resurrection works in the present. But there are two ways also it unfolds in the future. They're connected to each other. That has to do with the physical universe. And this is the part that oftentimes Christians get wrong. Um, that the resurrection provides new life for the dying creation later. And I'm talking future. The resurrection provides new life or resurrection life for the dying creation later. Um, the Lord God who made everything we see, touch, feel, smell, taste. He created it all, therefore he owns it all, and I want to tell you he loves it all. Everything from the stars, the universe, the planets, the suns, to our clouds, to our oceans, to our mountains, to our forests, to our trees, to the rocks, to the cliffs, to the animals, to the birds, to the fish. Everything that lives and breathes, he loves. He created it. He looked at it and said, this is good. And he loved it. And he's far more passionate about the physical creation than Greenpeace is, Sierra Club, Al Gore, you or me. You want to look up ultimate environmentalist and you'll find God there because this is his. And he is not going to, this is contrary to the mistaken understanding that many have. He's not going to take this universe that we now have. He's not going to crumple it up like a piece of newspaper and throw it away and start all over again. In that sense, he would have lost. Rather, what he is going to do, the New Testament teaches, and classic Christianity holds this too, is he is going to resurrect it. Resurrect physical reality, beginning with you and me and our bodies. You and me and our bodies. I, I can't think of a better a word to capture our hope. Resurrection. It's a lot better than the afterlife. I mean, that's so nebulous. What does afterlife mean? Does it mean I'm like a semi-transparent kind of phantom that wisps around the universe and bounces from cloud to cloud? Uh, resurrection means physical life. He brings our physical bodies back to life in perfection. I think it's a whole lot better than the word reincarnation, which is about as uh, alien to the scriptures as you can get, where you have a person who's born, and then they go through life as one thing, and then they die, and they come back as another thing, and if they do well, well enough, then they advance, and they start over again. Now, that sounds like a treadmill, tread, uh, tread wheel of, uh, of depression to me. I mean, who wants to go through junior high again? 
And it's just this never-ending cycle of birth and life and death, birth, life, and death. Some thinks it's beautiful. I think it's ugly. Resurrection is entirely different. God calls, and he brings back to life physically, incorruptibly, never to die again. Now that I'll take. Resurrection, to live again, to, to, to die in a corrupt state and to be raised in an incorruptible state. Never to die again, never to sin again, never to experience disappointment again. That's resurrection. And it's a physical resurrection. Um, you don't die and become somebody else, some different identity with a different name. When Jesus died on Good Friday, he died Jesus and he was raised Jesus. He wasn't raised as a Jim or a Sally or a gorilla. It was the same person who died who rose. And he, he died brutally beaten and he was raised in perfection and power. A physical being with the same identity. And that is the resurrection that's held out to you and I. A physical coming back into existence with our same identities and the same personalities only perfected and the, and the quality will be eternal. That's resurrection. God didn't make a mistake when he made us with eyes to see and ears to hear and nose to smell and uh, uh, tongue to taste and, and hands to hold and arms to hug. He, he, that wasn't a mistake. He's going to bring that back to life. The smells and the tastes and the wonders, all the physical senses only amplified to what we should and will be. That's resurrection, and that's where we're headed. And this is a this was Paul's view, this is the Old Testament prophet's view, and this is Jesus' teaching, and of course, Jesus was the one who exemplified and proved it's true. He came back to life physically. Paul writes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, uh, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. So if Christ is the first fruit, he comes back physically. Then we who are um, left, when he comes back, he calls us to life physically, physical existence. That's, that's resurrection for us, resurrection bodies, a physical existence. That I can better get my head around than whispering around the clouds as a semi-transparent phantom. But it goes farther than that. And this is the part that blows me away, too, is that he is going to recreate and resurrect and reclaim the entire physical universe, including our home. There's a song that plays on Caleb that says, this is not where I belong. And I get the sense that we belong with God, and God isn't uh, in the fullest sense of his presence here. But in one sense, I do belong here, because he made us for this planet. And he made this planet for us. And he's going to resurrect it for us. You say, where is that found? Well, right here in, in Paul again. Um, he writes this. For, for the creation, by creation he means everything that came out of God's creative word. Everything that exists. There's nothing outside of it. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's a way of talking about the revealing is when we rise. At our physical resurrection, something is going to happen to the created order, the universe, the physical universe. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free. It's the same creation, the old creation, but set free 
from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Right now, everything that we see and touch is fading and decaying. You know that atheists concede the point that at some point, our son will die. It's all dying. And there's little we can do about it. There's little the EPA can do about it. Maybe slow it down. That itself is questionable. There's only one person who can save it. Only one person who can save it, who can resurrect it and bring it back to its glorified state, and that is the one who is the resurrection and the life. But that's what he's going to do. That tells us that our final destination as human beings, physical, spiritual human beings, is not heaven, but it's earth filled with heaven. That's, that's, that's our, our final, final home. Um, so that the, the rocks and the trees and the forests and the animals and all that God loves... He's not going to toss it away, but rather he's going to renovate, restore, and resurrect it. Only better than you can possibly imagine. So place yourself on the best beach, or if you don't like the beach, the best forest, in the best mountain or the best plains. Look around you at the grandeur and the beauty of what God created. And then I want you to multiply it times a billion and then add infinity. And you get a sense of, oh my goodness, like what is the Lord doing? And it all comes back to the resurrection of Jesus. That's where it all starts. So you see how it's, it may seem small in the scope of history, but it changes everything. It begins in the human heart when it inclines us to trust the Lord again and to love him again and draw us back to God rather than away from him. With the promise of, of having resurrected physical bodies that can smell and touch and taste and live in a home and a creation that is set free all because of the resurrection. Here's a, I'll close with this quote, but this quote caught my attention, and it just says pretty much what I just said by Edward uh, Thurneson. He said, The world into which we shall enter in the coming of Christ Jesus is therefore not another world. It is this world, this heaven, this earth, both, however, passed away and renewed. It is these forests, these fields, these cities, these streets, these people that will be the scene of redemption. At present, they are battlefields full of strife and sorrow of the not-yet-accomplished consummation. Then they will be fields of victory, fields of harvest, where out of the seed that was sown with tears, the everlasting sheaves will be reaped and brought home. That stirs me with hope. That stirs me with hope. And the simple question is the question that Jesus posed to the woman who was grieving. Do you believe this? All of us need to believe this, even those who profess to believe it. Because if we believe in the potential certain reality of the resurrection, then it will change everything. It brings light and joy into our darkest moments. It, um, it enables us to endure and persevere in all kinds of of pain. Why? Because we have the resurrection and no one can take that from us because Jesus rose again. I simply ask, do you believe this? And, and my hope is that you'll hear the voice of Jesus speaking through these very words. And if you've never believed and you sense, I think this is true. And maybe like my friend Vadim, your heart will melt and you'll realize that this is, this is not a fiction. This is reality and this is hope. And all the Lord asks of you, he doesn't ask you to jump through hoops or 
sign on a dotted line or become a, an official member of a church or go through a catechism. The simple thing is, do you believe this? Do you trust me with your soul and your sin and your future? Do you trust me with your life? That's what he calls. He says, repent and believe. And the resurrection is yours. So if, if you find yourself in that place where you hear the voice of Christ calling, there's nothing you need to do other than simply lift up your voice and say, Lord, I trust you with my soul. I trust you with my sin. I trust you with my future. I want Jesus. And for the rest of us who do believe, just the cry of, Lord, help mine unbelief. Help me to believe it more. Because I know that the resurrection makes a difference in life. Right here, right now. Let me pray. Gracious Father, I am thankful for your goodness and kindness to us. Um, the, the hope that is unfolded for us in the teachings of Jesus and in the writings of the Bible are without a question, without a doubt, unimaginable immeasurable and wonderful. And all we can say is thank you because it's, we certainly didn't deserve it um, when we wanted to walk our own way and do our own thing and not be told what to do. But you came after us because you're a God of love and a God of grace. And in this we celebrate, in this we give thanks. In Christ's name I pray.